Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interviewed Danny Manning. Danny was a legendary college basketball player who's in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. He was the number one pick in the 1988 NBA draft after his four years at Kansas, and after a lengthy NBA career, embarked on a college basketball coaching career. He started off at the University of Kansas, his alma mater, and eventually became the head coach at the University of Tulsa, and then afterwards, he went on to be the head coach at Wake Forest. Coach Manning, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing fantastic. How was uh, Father's Day? Father's Day was wonderful. I had both my kids here and uh, spent some time, had it cooked out for me, and the next day made breakfast, so it was a, it was a great day. Man, you had a Father's Day weekend, it sounds like. Yes, I did. Very fortunate. Well, Coach, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, you know, I wanted to obviously interview you. You were one of the coaches who came to mind. I think so many coaches could get a lot out of your story, not just as a great player, but as a great coach. Well, thank you. I, um, you know, for, I mean, you know, everything that we do in this sport is nothing is really brand new. There's always a take or a spin or a twist or a tweak, and that's what we do. So, Coach, what was it like growing up the son of an NBA player? I enjoyed it. You know, I didn't realize how fortunate I was. Uh, my father played in the ABA and NBA, and I remember going to games in Greensboro, the Greensboro Coliseum with the Carolina Cougars, and going to practice at Guilford College and things of that nature. I remember when my father played with the New York Nets and sitting on the back of the backstop and feeling the gold shake and vibrate after Dr. J would dunk one. So, you know, for me, all these are, are great memories, and um, I feel very fortunate looking back on it to have those experiences. Now, were you an only child? Nope. I have a younger sister. Um, so, yeah, we were made all those tracks to different places together when my dad moved around from team to team. Okay. So he, he attended a HBCU in the 1960s. Did he ever mention that he experienced any racism that he told you about? Um, you know what? I mean, he, he talked about his experiences from time to time. Both my parents did growing up in Mississippi, and that was a, uh, a unique and, and challenging time. And they ran across quite a few social and, and racial injustices that were uh, just part of the course they had to navigate. Okay. Um. You know, I saw that he was on the team with uh, Wes Unseld during his rookie year. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Wes's rookie year when he won the Rookie of the Year and MVP. Did you ever get to meet Wes uh, after you were in the NBA? Sure. No, I, I got a chance to meet Wes. Um, knew him from quite some time and um, actually was my godfather. And, um, you know, he was someone that my dad um, had a great relationship with. And, um, you know, for me, someone that – great player, moved into coaching, moved into front office and broke a lot of uh, barriers, so to speak, and, and, and created pathways for, for guys after they got done playing. Okay. Yeah, I had met him once, and it was – I think he was still the GM of the Washington Wizards at the time. Yes. Very nice. Yes. Um, 
sad to see that he passed away, me being a giant Bullets and Wizards yeah. fan, obviously. Yeah, he's going to be missed, no question about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, what stories did your dad have from playing alongside Earl the Pearl Monroe uh, when he was with the Bullets? Um, you know, my father spoke a lot about how talented guys were that probably that didn't receive the recognition that guys did further down the road. Um, you know, we talked about Wes and, and being able to do the things that he was doing at his size at the center position. He was undersized height-wise to be a center in the NBA, but was extremely um, dedicated and um, very productive in, in what he was going out there to accomplish. He also talked about Gus Johnson being really athletic and powerful type of player, especially around the rim when he's attacking the rim. Talked about Earl the Pearl Monroe and um, his skill set and how we handle the ball and how he scored the basketball. So, you know, he always had really good stories about guys that were really talented that didn't receive as much as some of the guys in the later years. But a lot of that had to do with um, the different avenues that became available as we moved further away from my father's era, just in terms of notoriety with um, television um, and things of that nature. Okay, good stuff. You know, I, I read that two years after his NBA playing career ended, he came out of retirement and played a season in the ABA for the Carolina Lightning. Did you ever get a chance to see him play in person? Uh, yeah, I did. But, I mean, I was so young ago. You know, I was very young. Um but, yeah, I remember going, like I said, going to the Greensboro Coliseum and, and watching them play. And um, I remember being in New York and, and going to, to Knicks games, Nets games, excuse me, and, and watching them play their Pacer games. So, uh, yeah, I remember him playing. And my father was a – he was a glue guy, if you will. You know, he had a journeyman's type career. And he was the type of guy that – every team needed to be successful, but didn't receive a lot of attention. And so for me growing up and seeing that um, I had an appreciation level for, for guys that made their teammates better and, and did the, the dirty work or the smaller things that didn't receive as much recognition or attention. Who are your favorite players on his team? You know, you have to go back. You have to talk about what team. You know, so if I if I go back and I remember the Carolina Cougars, there were guys like Gene Littles, Joe Caldwell, Matt Calvin, Billy Cunningham. You know, those are guys, Steve Jones. Those are guys named to just come out right off the bat for me right there. And then if I talk about the Pacers, um, you know, there are a lot of guys, but Darnell Hillman, uh, Mel Daniels, George McGinnis. You know, those were guys that, that popped up to mind. Spirit of St. Louis, Bad News Marvin Barnes. You know, so, I'm, I mean, it just, for me, um, and the Nets, obviously Dr. J or, you know, Super John Williams, um, Bill Macchione. You know, there were just so many different guys that pop up into my my thought process when I, I reflect back on different teams that my father was fortunate enough to play on. Okay. So, you know, you grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. What childhood memories do you have from growing up in the Gate City? And are there any friends that you still stay in touch with? A um, lot of memories, you know. Um, spent my formative childhood years there. Moved away right before I was a senior in high school. 
um, Lewis Rec Center was a place I spent a ton of time every summer, almost every day, going up to Lewis Rec Center and being with a um, couple of friends, Mark Reed, Brian McAdoo, the guys that we were up at the Rec Center all the time, hanging out, playing different sports. Um, you know, came back in town and um, I had a really good relationship with, with William Whitaker and we can, nickname is Binky, but, you know, all my high school buddies, we'd get together um, from time to time if we could and um, spend a little time. It was really hard with everyone's schedules, but, you know, it's very fortunate to have some of those relationships with some of the guys that I still have them with. So, you know, for me, probably my fondest memory where I spent most of my time was at Lewis Rec Center in Greensboro growing up. But, um, you know, I remember my high school days at Page High School and winning the state championship, you know, going to Minden Hall Junior High, going to Acock Junior High, and, and the friends that I have there that I got a chance to get re reacquainted with when I was moved back here. So it's it's been very good and, and very um, fond memories for me. It's kind of cool to come back to a place and, show my wife and, and show my kids where I grew up. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, so you mentioned Page High School. Uh, you know, you became quite the basketball star. How tall were you back then? And, and when did you realize that you were, you know, going to be a high-level uh, college basketball recruit? Um, you know, just I was always tall for my age. And so I'd probably say I was six eight-ish by the time I left here. Um, really thin. <laughs> you know, probably weighed a buck. 70 at that I'm um, growing up in those times and you know for me I um Wayman Tisdale was in college and he was you know all the rave he was had a tremendous freshman year and um, started reading about him and, and realized at that point that college was was definitely something that could be in my future um, with a basketball scholarship if I continue to work hard and um, you know, that was just kind of the goal at that point. You know, I had a lot of talented high school teammates that moved on to play athletics in college. And, um, you know, that really helped me hone in and, and make that a, a goal and hopefully try to bring that to, to life. Okay. So, you know, your dad accepts a job on uh, Larry Brown's staff at Kansas. Your family moves to Lawrence. Um, you know, were you sad to leave North Carolina or did you understand, you know, that he was going for work? Yeah, both. <laughs> you know, I was, I understood it was a great opportunity for our family. Uh, I also knew that um, it was a traumatic experience. You know, we're, we, we moved away days before the start of my senior year of high school. And, um, you know, so that was just different. Um, now, having gone through the experience, um, it was something that, you know, help prepare me for life in terms of navigating and handling change. But um, leaving my friends and leaving my senior year was, was difficult, but I got to Lawrence, Kansas. I went to Lawrence High School for my senior year, and I was met with open arms by a lot of wonderful people, namely Jeff Johnson and his family, and had a chance to have a really good, fun senior year and very thankful for that. Okay. You know, Nowadays, how regularly do you talk with Coach Brown? Um, talk with him more and more as I get older. <laughs> you know, um, you know, this past year, last couple of years, you know, Coach Brown is always watching games and following all of his former players and sending us messages, sending us texts. 
telling us to uh, go back and, 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 and look at this film or go back and look at this game and see if you can pull something from that that can be beneficial for you and your team. So, you know, Coach Brown reaches out to, to quite a few of us on a regular basis. That's great. So, you know, besides your father, who were you closest with on staff? I know you had Larry Brown, R.C. Buford, Alvin Gentry, Mark Turgeon, a lot of guys on there. All those guys, you know, I mean, still stay in touch with them to this day. You know, Turgeon and I um, obviously crossed paths quite a bit in the profession that we're in. Bill Self was also on his staff, and he gave me my first coaching job in college. Um, Alvin Gentry and I still stay in touch. R.C. and I still stay in touch. Pop Popovich at one point was on Coach Brown's staff, so, you know, we have contact. Um, you know, he, he's brought some really, really talented men into that program to help mentor all the guys that, that played for him. And, um, you know, very fortunate to have those experiences and have those guys um, show us the way and help guide us on our journey. Yeah, so obviously you're one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. You're in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, you know, you declare for the draft. What's the pre-draft process like back then? Um, nothing like it is now. I mean, you eligibility was up. I stayed through my senior year, and um, you know there was a draft lottery, and the, the Clippers won the lottery and um, held up a number twenty-five jersey. So I, I kind of knew going into it that I was going to be their pick, and so for me it was. Uh, it was a, a blessing. It was a lot of fun. I feel very fortunate. I felt humbled. And um, I was just excited to, to get to, to L.A. And, and be a part of the NBA. So was it more just interviews as far as, you know, you kind of knew that you were going to be the first pick you know, since they had it? Just interviews or did they put you through the, the test? Um, it was more so interviews and spending time with Elgin Baylor who was the, uh, the GM at that time and developed a really good relationship with him. And he was somebody that uh, helped me out in my early years playing in the NBA, playing in LA, playing for the Clippers because he was one of the greats and one of the best to actually play the game. And so having someone like him as a mentor was extremely beneficial and, and very helpful, not only for me, but for all the other guys that, um, you know, that, that were drafted. When you talk about Charles Smith, Gary Grant, Tom Garrick, Joe Wolf, Ken Norman, Reggie Williams, um, you know, we were all young guys um, coming into the league, and, and Elgin was someone that uh, definitely helped guide us. You know, so the Clippers draft you. What goes through your mind when your name is called and then when you realize they're not trading you, you know, you are going to L.A.? I was, I felt good about it. I felt fortunate to, and humbled. I felt blessed. Um, I was excited and, and I just wanted to, to, to get to LA and, and, and help the team be successful as possible and show people that I belonged in this league. And that was just my mindset from there forward. Okay. You know, I've listened to the ESPN 30 for 30 podcast on Donald Sterling, but you know, at the time he was the owner, what type of interactions did you have with him and, you know, his wife during the time that you were in L.A.? Had a lot of interactions with, with uh, Donald and, and, and his wife, Shelly. You know, they 
owned the team and, you know, they had different parties and different functions that we would go to. And, um, you know, they were at the majority of our games. So he was a, uh, a very unique individual. Um, I, I guess that's probably the most, <laughs> uh, the, the adjective that I'll, I'll, I'll describe him with and um, just kind of go from there. So did you guys travel first class when he was the owner? Uh, when I first got into the league, we were still all teams, not all teams, but the majority of the teams were still flying commercial. And then that changed and we started um, chartering like everyone else. So, um, you know, we we had a, I remember we, we chartered Champion Airline, which is at the time was one of the better charter companies out there. And, um, you know, that really helped out just in regards to the, the way that we traveled, not having to get up for the first flight in the morning the night after a game and leaving out the night after games, it really gave your body a chance to recover and um, get rest and, uh, you know, get you to your next city um, for your next game. So was that part of the collective bargaining agreement that, you know, all teams would then uh, take charter flights? That I'm not for sure, but it just became a wave of how we started to travel, um, all teams. And uh, there were different airlines that did it. Um, I remember we played for the Milwaukee Bucks and it was Midwest Air and that was one of my favorite airlines all the seats were first class seats and you had plenty of room so you know everybody did it a little bit differently but all the teams started chartering okay you know so you played for a number of coaches uh, while you were in Los Angeles including Larry Brown was the relationship any different now that you were an NBA player um, I, I thought it should be, I wanted it to be, you know, I, I thought playing for coach Brown in college was one thing and, you know, he's the best coach I've ever played for bar none, uh, made me a better person, made me a better basketball player. And, um, you know, he made our teams better in LA without question. Um, you know, for, for me as a player, I think, you know, there was always growth as a young man. And, um, you know, at times coach Brown, coach Brown is a teacher. And um, he, he, that's at the end of the day, that's what he is. And he's going to teach you to be a better basketball player and a better person. And, um, you know, for me, there were, there were times that we did bump heads. And um, I think a lot of that just had to do with the amount of time that we were together and the relationship that we had. But, um, you know, I definitely appreciate all the things that he taught me and, and, and prepared me for. Awesome. You know, so you were the sixth man of the year in Phoenix. What was it like playing alongside uh, Charles Barkley? And did you guys ever hit the golf links? Um, Charles was a lot of fun to play with. He was a very talented guy, obviously one of the best to ever ever do it, especially at his possession and during that time. And, um, yeah, I'm sure there were some golf outings that we went on together with the Suns and things of that nature. But, you know, he was – he was a tremendous basketball player, but, you know, we had a really good team. Kevin Johnson was there at one point um, when I first got there, and then Jason Kidd came in. Steve Nash was there, Joe Klein, Dan Marley, um, Wayman Tisdale, John Hot Rod Williams. So, you know, we had some really talented – Danny Ainge, the end of his career was there. So Rex Chapman became a very good friend, and uh, he had a really good bond on the court. So – there are a lot of different guys in that organization um, during the time that I was there, and it was a lot of fun. Okay. Now, Coach, you won't remember this because they had just taken a picture. It wasn't that you posed for it. 
there was a read to achieve NBA read to achieve poster that I have in third grade. And it was you, Jawan Howard, John Stockton on probably, I think Scotty Pippen, but I always remember it was you boxing out great technique, by the way, uh, in that Phoenix Suns. <laughs> uniform. Wow. Those were, those were great programs to be a part of, you know, the NBA did a lot of different, unique, creative, um, promotions and the read to achieve was something that um, I felt really fortunate to be a part of did those at all-star games and I actually did a commercial with my two kids um, along those lines so very fortunate to be a part of that program and it was something I thought was very beneficial as they rolled it out oh, that's really neat um, you know talk about being traded and the process of getting signed as a free agent in the NBA uh, well, being traded, I mean, you just, you, you know, you, you have a certain amount of time. You've got to get to your next city and um, pick up how things are being done, learn the plays, learn the system, learn the players and things of that nature. That is uh, probably an easier adjustment for me than it was for my family, because at that point in time, um, you know, you take off and you go to your next city and then your family is, you know, you have kids in school, they've got to finish up the school year. You don't necessarily want to pull them out in the middle of the year. Um, and so that makes it a little bit tougher when you have families. As a free agent, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, you're in whatever town that you're in or whatever you deem your hometown, you're working out, and you get a call, you go take your physical and you sign your contract and then you're off and running and then your family gets there when it's best for them to get there. And a lot of times your kids are in school, so you'll wait until um, there's a break in school before you pull them out to uh, bring them to the next city. So it's a, it's a lot harder on the families than it is us as players, to be honest with you, because we already have built-in friends with our teammates. And um, when your family comes in, when your wife comes in, with your kids come in, they've got to start anew not knowing anyone and, and develop relationships. So um, it's a lot easier on us players when we get traded opposed to our families because they're starting a new whatever city we go to. I can imagine. Um, you know, did the team handle your living situation when you were on, I saw on a couple one-year contracts? Uh, oh, no. I mean, they put you up in a hotel for a little bit of time till you, till you got situated, and then you had to find your own housing and, and go from there. So that was just part of the gig. It was uh, for me when I was playing. And so, you know, you stay in a hotel till you found a place that worked for you, and then once you did that, you moved out of the hotel, and you adjusted as best you could, and, and you started life at that particular city. Okay. You know, you faced adversity during your career combating numerous ACL injuries and ailments. You know, I think a weaker man would have just retired. What made you keep fighting? Um, I love the game. I, I felt very fortunate to play it. Um, when I blew my knee out the first time in L.A., 26 games into my rookie year, it was considered career-threatening. And, um, you know, the type of player I was, I thought if I came back and I didn't have the same type of mobility or or quickness or explosion, I could just become a, a straight post player or five man, if you will. Um, I had great doctors and Stephen Lombardo, a great physical therapist and Clyde Brewster and Johnny Doyle, my personal trainer, Carl Horn, were all guys that 
helped push me and challenge me to get back to that level. And uh, the second time it happened, it was a little bit easier because I realized what I needed to do to come back. And the third time was even easier just because I've done it before. And so, you know, for me, I, I have great doctors, great therapists, and I was a little bit stubborn and wanting to, to continue to play and not give the game up and, you know, just tried to work as hard as I could to get back out there on the court and do what I was, what I love to do and, and was fortunate to do in the NBA for 15 years. And so for me, that was the hand that I was dealt. And I tried to play it as best as I could, and I did it for 15 years. And, and very proud of the fact that I was able to bounce back from that adversity three times to have a career in the NBA. No, it just really speaks to your character. You know, talk about your time in Dallas. What was Mark Cuban like? Um, and how was communicating with Juan Juju? Um, you know, when I got to Dallas um, – Mark was trying to to establish the the Mavericks as a, as a team of the future, a team that you want to be a part of. And so he went above and beyond with a lot of different things, just in terms of catering in different meals, having different amenities that make the your life a little bit easier, easier whether it was bringing in massage therapist or how we traveled how he treated the veterans on the team in terms of getting guys suites at different places. So, you know, he went above and beyond. And I remember coming there as an opponent and he would have catered meals for the visiting team on your way out the door. So he was definitely trying to think outside the box and things of that nature. And obviously they won a world championship. He's done a great job. And so I enjoyed my time there, um, you know, Played again, you know, with, with Steve Nash and Dirk was a tremendous player and Juwan Howard was there and really, really bunch of good guys. Um, communicating with Wong ZZ was a lot of fun. You know, he was a very talented basketball player. Tim Hardaway was there with us on those teams as well. And, um, you know, playing with those guys was a lot of fun and communicating with, with Wong ZZ was was challenging at times, but he knew enough and basketball was enough of universal language that we could work through it. So he was a tremendous basketball player as well. Agreed. You know, you mentioned Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki. Michael Finley. I can't forget him. He was, he was definitely one of the clogs in that, that locomotive when we were there as well. Very true. Very true. Um, You know, Steve Nash, obviously being both him and Dirk, two MVPs that you played alongside. Uh, two-part question, what about those two players in particular made them so special? And how many assists do you think Steve Nash got because of you? Um, well, those guys were, were really talented um, basketball players, first of all, but they're great people as well. And um, they had a tremendous work ethic, um, getting to practice before a lot earlier than guys and getting their work in, staying after, um, good leaders, good people. Um, had a great spirit about them that you gravitated to. And so those guys were, were fun to be around without question. And um, I, what was your second part of your question? I said, how many assists do you think uh, you allowed Steve Nash to have? Uh, one or two. I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Steve was a tremendous player, obviously. One of the best passers to ever play the game. One of the better players to ever play the game. And so, you know, for me, I just tried to make myself available and, be ready to catch the ball and then finish when he, when he delivered great passes to me and, and, and things like that. 
I got you. You know, your final season in the NBA, you were playing in Detroit again under Larry Brown. Talk about reuniting with your college coach for one last dance. Well, that was actually the year after I retired. Coach Brown came in. My last year, I played for Rick Carlisle with the Pistons. And so okay. that uh, that was a tremendous experience. You know, Rick Carlisle is one of the better coaches in the NBA, still doing it to this day. And Coach Brown comes in the following year after I retired, and they were able to move on and win a world championship. So, you know, I got a chance to spend time with Chauncey Billups. I got a chance to spend time with Rip Hamilton and, and Cliff Robinson, who also was in Phoenix with me at a certain time, um, Ben Wallace. Those guys were the cornerstones. Tayshawn Prince, Mike Curry, those guys were the cornerstones for that championship run when Coach Brown got there. And, um, you know, it was it was really fun to see. And um, I, I had a great, great time. And that was a great way for me to end my career. Joe Dumars and John Hammond were two guys in the front office that treated me really well. And um, I, I I went out uh, on on a good note because I, I left playing for good people and um, I, I enjoyed my time in Detroit. So now you your playing days are over. You return to Kansas to serve as the director of student athlete development and team manager under Bill Self. Talk about returning to your alma mater. Um, well, I felt very fortunate to have an opportunity to get into the coaching aspect as soon as I retired. Um, Lawrence, Kansas was always home for us um, during the off season for my NBA career. So we were very comfortable there. And, um, you know, Coach Self creates an opportunity and a job for me to come in to be a part and see if it was something that I wanted to do and very fortunate for that because it gave me a chance to, to break into coaching. Um, being back in Lawrence full time was was basically second nature because that was our home for the most part year round because no matter what team we played on or where we were at, we would always come back to Lawrence, Kansas. And so there was always a base of family and friends there that very comfortable for my wife and and for my children. So um, Lawrence, Kansas is always um, a place that will always be very special and always will have that home feel to it, if you will, because of the amount of time that we spent there and the relationships that, that all of us have in my family from, from spending so much time there. Oh, that's awesome, Coach. Now, when did you realize that you wanted to be a coach? Um, you know, for me, uh, I think I kind of grew into that role as a player. I always wanted to, to be the type of player that made the game easier for my teammates. And the older I got, the less I played and, and the more I, my role was to share what I was seeing with my teammates out there on the court to try to help them. And then I also started coaching my kids teams and I enjoyed it and I thought it was a lot of fun. And I just kind of morphed into uh, a love for coaching and, and sharing it and mentoring young people and trying to help them along the way on their journey. Okay. Um, what about the college game appealed to you as opposed to the NBA level? Um, you know, for me, I, I've been very fortunate and blessed to be a part of the NBA for 15 years. And, you know, for me, the last X amount of years of my career, I was in a different city or playing for a different team. And I wanted to create um, more stability for my kids until they got done with high school. And so for us, you know, we wanted to stay in Lawrence until they finished high school. And 
I had that opportunity afforded to me by being on the staff with, with Coach Self at Kansas. And so for me, um, being back in Lawrence was an easy transition. Um, the place that we wanted to be, a place that we wanted to raise our kids and to be a part of KU again, which, you know, helped me in so many different ways grow up from a, a teenager to a young man, helped prepare me for life, and I wanted to play it forward. And my wife went to Kansas as well. And um, so for us, that was a very comfortable place to be and an easy place to be a part of because we felt so connected to that community. Who are your coaching mentors and what are some things that you've learned from them? Um, I probably have three mentors that, that really jump out for me. One is my father. He was my first coach. He was my biggest fan. He was my biggest critic. And, you know, he introduced me to the game. Coach Brown is someone that has also had a profound effect on me as a player and as a person. He made me a better basketball player and he helped make me a better person. And then Bill Self, being around him and seeing how he challenges his players and how he cares for them and loves on them. Those three guys had the biggest impact on my coaching philosophy, but all the coaches that I've played for have played a hand in it. And some of them, um, I don't like this. I'm not going to do this. But the majority of them was, hey, I like this. I want to try to incorporate this in some way, shape, or form into the philosophy um, and mentality that I want to create in, in the young people that I'm coaching. Nah, I know that feeling so too well. Um, you know, how neat was it to see your retired jersey in Allen Fieldhouse each and every home game as a coach? Uh, tremendous honor. Very fortunate, very blessed, and extremely uh, humbled by that because they're, you know, the, the retired jerseys at Kansas are, are really special. And I realized that I didn't do it by myself. I realized I had a great coaching staff. And more importantly, I had tremendous teammates to help put me in those situations to have success on the court. And so for me, I look at that as just a, a badge of honor for all the guys that I had a chance to play with because without them, none of that was possible. Okay. You know, talk about your time helping with Team USA. Uh, which coaches were on staff? Which players were on the team? And who was on the select team, if you recall that? Um, well, for me, um, being involved with USA Basketball, I was very fortunate. I got a chance to play on a, a few USA Basketball teams as a player. The Jones Cup team, and we were coached by Lou Dolson. Um, I had a chance to play for the Pan American Games. And, um, you know, we had Denny Crum was a coach, and uh, Coach Judd Heathcote was also there. And then the Olympic team playing for Coach Thompson was a tremendous honor as well. And then uh, when I got into the coaching aspect of it, um, I got re-involved, reacquainted with USA Basketball with Sean Ford and, uh, and Jim Tooley. Those guys were tremendous, giving me an opportunity to come back in. So I was involved with uh, being a coat court, a coat court coach, excuse me, with the team that Sean Miller coached uh, with his brother and also with Ed Cooley. And then I had a chance to be an assistant coach with Calipari and, and Tad Boyle on our team that went to Egypt. And then I had a chance to, to be an assistant coach with, with Coach Self and um, Anthony Grant on the team that played in Canada. So, you know, being a part of USA Basketball is always a tremendous honor. You feel very humbled and thankful for those opportunities. And so for me, USA Basketball will always 
hold a special place in my heart um, just because of being fortunate to be to, to be acquainted with with that group. That's awesome. You know, talk about the importance of coaching clinics and, and what you enjoy about being a speaker at the Nike clinics. Um, well, coaching clinics to me are, are, are a time for fellowship, a time to get together and share different ideas, bounce different things off of different people. Um, the game of basketball is a is a wonderful game. It's a fraternity of everyone that's involved that we're sharing different ideas. None of us are smart enough to come up with too many unique and original ideas. Everything's been done in some way, shape, or form. It's just a matter of how you want to tweak it and apply it best to your team. And um, I enjoy sharing that information with different members of the basketball community and trying to gain as much knowledge and different insight as I can. And um, so for me, I, I enjoy doing camps. I enjoy doing clinics and I enjoy listening and, and trying to always learn something different about the game or, or a different way to approach maybe a zone offense or a man-to-man offense or, or defensive concept, things of that nature. So I always enjoy being in those situations. Now, one thing I remember about uh, Myrtle Beach Coaching Clinic uh, that you were at, you were one of the few coaches who wasn't rushing to get out of there. And I always respected that and appreciated that, that you were there to answer questions afterwards, take pictures, and I, you know, I just always appreciate it. Well, that. thank you. I mean, like I said, it's a great chance for fellowship. It's a great time for bonding. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I played for a coach in Larry Brown who, who always had different coaches come in and different people come in to speak to the team. And he always said that's the best way to learn is to share and, and, and spend time with fellowship in the game of basketball because it's a unique fraternity. And, um, you know, that's something that has stuck with me to this day. That's great. So, Coach, you know, obviously North Carolina has some of the best cuisine in the country. What were your go-to foods on game days as a, a high school kid and as a coach? As a high school kid, it's just whatever they were serving in lunch that day and wherever we went for lunch, <laughs> that that was it. You know, uh, you know, moving into the, the, the realm of, of college basketball and, and the diet involved there. It's just whatever the, um, our trainers, our nutritionists, our strength and conditioning coach thought was the best meal at that particular time of the day was what we went with. And I would always eat with my team, like all of our other coaches on staff. So, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, I grew up in college. It was always a steak and some type of carbs um, baked potato most of the time um, when I got became a college coach. Um, just depends on the time of day that you were having the meal. But I always enjoyed um, the brunch or the morning pregame meals because I always thought a weekend game on a Saturday or a Sunday was a great, great time to be a part of college basketball. I bet. You know, talk about the guys like Collins, um, you know, had with uh, prior declaring for the NBA draft, you know, the guys that you've had, did you encourage them to declare or were you, were you more being supportive? Well, you know what? I, I think a lot of it for me was you want guys to be successful and you want to put them in a situation where they can have success down the road. And, you know, John is a, a very talented young basketball player and, um, you know, we got him and, 
He was already a hard worker. He put in the work. He changed his body. He bought into the things that we wanted him to do and needed him to do for our team to be successful. And he took off. You know, I had no idea that he was going to flourish, shine, and stand out the way that he did in two years of college basketball. And, um, you know, very happy to be a part of that process for him. But, you know, he, he, he took off and worked really hard. You know, for me, it was trying to prepare our guys for the future and, and always sharing with them that at some point in time, the ball is going to stop bouncing and you have to be prepared for life. And that's something that I'll always continue to echo to any of the guys that I coach on, on any level. Um, because that's something that you you have to be prepared for because it's going to happen at some point in time. Uh, very true. You know, Coach, um, you know, one of the coaches at Iona had wanted me to ask this, and I thought it was a great question. You know, talk about the importance of being humble and keeping positive through tough times. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's just kind of life. You know, life is going to hit you with a lot of different curveballs. It's going to throw a lot of adversity at you, and you've got to continue to find ways to navigate and do different things to take care of your family, to take care of yourself, and, and to keep on pushing forward. And so the biggest thing that you, you want to do is every day you want to wake up feeling thankful, feeling grateful, and wanting to maximize that day, do the best you can on that particular day. And, um, you know, I always challenge the teams that I coach our players to stack days. You know, you want to stack a good day on top of another good day on top of another good day. And that makes for a great run. And so for me, um, the parents that I had, very fortunate, they, they, they taught me to work hard. They taught me to, to try to be a good person and, and treat people right. And um, in return, you know, hopefully you get that same type of treatment back. But at the end of the day, it's, you just want to go out and, and you want to be a productive citizen. You want to be a caring person and you want to try to be unselfish as, as you possibly can to, to, to help the next guy in line. No, I really like that. Those stacking days. Great. Um, you know, you talked about obviously the, you know, the team meals, but what was your game day routine? And do you have any superstitions? Um, game day routine for me, just obviously depend on when the game was, but um you know, we, if it was afternoon or evening game, you know, come into the office a little bit later than a normal, just because it was going to be a little bit longer night and go over my scouting report, watch some more film, take down some notes, get prepared for the walkthrough, um, visit with the coaches, visit with my scout coach on that particular game about any other adjustments or any other things that we need to have as plan B's and plan C's going into the game. Um, go into, you know, our walkthrough or shoot around, if you will, pregame meal. Then after that, I would always try to get a little power nap before the game and um, kind of decompress a little bit and wake up from my nap and um, get showered up, get dressed up, and then go over my notes until I had to get ready to speak to the team and, and, and go into the game. And So that was always kind of my routine, if you will, um, after pregame meal just try to, to sit down and, and take a nap or relax for a little bit to decompress and then wake up and get into game mode and, and start preparing for the different types of situations that could come my way during the course of a game. 
Okay. What are some things that you've learned about yourself as a coach over the last 15 plus years in the business? Oh, I've, I've learned that um, each kid is, is different. Each kid is unique and you have to find that certain way that to motivate him or to find the way that he learns best. And you do that by spending time with them and talking to them away from the court. Um, and then recently, I, I, I feel like with this generation of players, you know, you definitely have to let them know that you, you care about them, that you love them, and you're there for them away from the court as well as on the court. And that's something that, you know, I try to do, my staff tries to do. Um, you're going to love them hard, but you're also going to challenge them and push them hard. And at the end of the day, you want what's best for them as young people. And, um, you know, you, you, their days are not going to like you. And you, you have to be able to come to grips with that. But that's no different than being a parent. You know, there were days my kids didn't like me, but this is something that, you know, if I felt strongly about needing to get done or needing to push or challenge you outside of your comfort zone to get you to a different level, then that's what we did. How have you been staying busy during the COVID-19 pandemic uh, since Wake Forest? Uh, well, for me, I've had a chance to, you know, unwind. This is actually the first time that I can ever remember of uh, not having a schedule, if you will. And so I've kind of enjoyed spending time with my family, spending time with my kids. And, uh, you know, that's been the, the biggest blessing for me, if you will, through all this situation and preparing myself for my next opportunity, you know, um, going over different notes, talking to different coaches and things about whether it's basketball, defensive concepts, offensive concepts, um, networking, um, or in just general fellowship with different coaches and, and just trying to get ready for my next opportunity. Okay. Looking forward to that as well. Thank you. Um, what have you been watching as far as coaching webinars and, you know, so name a couple ones that you've added to your toolbox. Um, well, for me, there's there's a there's usually there's a private one that I'm on. To be honest with you, Dr. Joe Carr is a mentor of mine, and, and he coaches. Uh, he doesn't coach, but he he coaches a lot of the coaches uh, as, as as a mentor. And so every two weeks we have a, a a Zoom session with him, and that's probably the one I'm most consistent with. And other than that, it's just different ones that catch my eye that I want to be a part of. Um, Rex Walters and I, um, he sends me different ones that are going on and I try to hop on tail ends of it depending on what I have going on. But a lot of it is just uh, more one-on-one -on -one conversations with different coaches, whether I you know, get a chance to spend time speaking with Leonard Hamilton or Shaka Smart, you know, you know, different coaches that are in the profession, Bill Self, of course, Joe Dooley, Norm Roberts, um, Tad Boyle, Mark Turgeon, you know, a lot of different contacts that I have, just staying in touch with those guys and uh, just bouncing different ideas off of them. Well, that's great, Coach. What advice do you have for coaches trying to break into the business? Trying to break into the business, um, understand that, your most important job is where your two feet are at, <laughs> you know, and understanding that and doing the best that you possibly can in the role that you have. And the better you do your role, the more responsibilities that will come your way. Okay. What do you think are qualities 
that head coaches look for in graduate assistants and support staff? Um, qualities that you're looking for in graduate assistants and um, support staff members. Obviously, you want guys that are knowledgeable and understanding of the game. You want guys that are going to be loyal um, in the process of helping you run your program. And you want guys that you can trust. You want guys that aren't going to put you in a compromising situation um, because of uh, all the rules that are out there. And you want guys that are good people that want what's best for the program and want what's best for your individual players on that team. And you want guys that are willing to sacrifice and, and to make those things happen. And so, you know, I, you know, whenever there was an opening on my staff for, for a GA spot or for a support staff member, you know, obviously you get resumes, but at the end of the day, I'm going to set those resumes to the side and I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call references. I'm going to call and speak with different guys and, and get a feel for who you are as a person, what type of character you have, um, what's your skill set like, what's your work ethic like, are you dependable, are you trustworthy, are you going to be loyal? These are all things that um, we're looking for and I'm looking for when, you, when you're looking to hire any type of staff member. Oh, Coach, that's great. I think a lot of coaches will uh, get a lot out of that. Yes. Um, what activities do you do to unwind? Um, well, for me, I, I, I try to swim or get into a pool and, and, and stretch and, and do some water aerobic type exercises. I walk and then I enjoy riding my bike as well. So I'd probably say during this situation, walking, riding my bike and getting in the pool and, and swimming a little bit are the three physical activities that I spend the majority of my physical exertion on. Um, every now and then I'll go to a basketball court and get up some shots, uh, which is always a lot of fun. I was wondering how you stayed in shape because <laughs> the Indian, you know, games and practices, I'm like, man, he hasn't put on any weight. No, I have. I just keep buying bigger clothes. I just keep trying to hide. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, are there any shows that you're binge watching these days? You know what? Um, you know, we'll, we'll sit down and, you know, we'll watch different shows that, that, that we, our kids, our kids or our friends that are over there talk about. Um, so not really anything in particular, um, just kind of flip through the channels. If something catches our eye, we'll watch it. Um, obviously we, we watched the Tiger King show and that was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, we've binge watched a few other shows, whether it's, um, you know, blackish, which is something that we enjoy watching, um, you know, friends and the office TV shows are on as well. And, you know, for me, I go back to uh, my playing days and different TV shows I enjoyed watching back then uh, to kind of unwind and relax. So you, you mentioned Tiger King. Do you think Carol Baskin did it? I think there's a strong possibility, <laughs> a very strong possibility. And then I just read somewhere recently that um, – her uh, ex-husband, I don't know, ex-husband, a former husband, his his will was supposedly forged. I, I saw that somewhere. So, yeah, that, that brings a different dynamic to it. And then there's always talk of uh, a few more episodes popping up. So I, I'd be interested to see those if they do. No, I think a lot of people would. <laughs> 
know, Coach, you made it to the segment I call Start, Bench, Cut. You start one, you bench one, you cut one. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I'm ready. <laughs> Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Nike on the start, Adidas on the bench, cut Under Armour. Okay. Shaq, Hakeem, Patrick Ewing. Wow, that's tough. None of those guys deserve to be cut. Um, but for me, you know, Akeem and Pat were two guys that I played up against and, and watched quite a bit that helped helped me out as a basketball player because of their skill set and how they played the game. Um, so I'm going to end up saying start Pat, bench Akeem, and, and cut Shaq just because of the, the, the names of those other two guys. You know, Shaq is one of the best to ever do it, though. Uh, agreed. Uh, Coach Carter, Hoosiers, Glory Road. Start Glory Road. Bench Coach Carter, cut Hoosiers. And I watched Hoosiers the other day, but I, I like those other two a little bit better. Okay, that's a good answer. Uh, cookout, Bojangles, Chick-fil-A. Start Cookout because I love their shakes. Um, Bench Chick-fil-A and cut Bojangles. So, Coach, what's your go-to milkshake? Kind of depends on the mood that I'm in, but from Cookout, it's usually going to be um, vanilla ice cream with peanut butter. Eh, I might have to try that. I'm a a blueberry strawberry cheesecake guy. Okay, yes, yes. Last one. Hoop Dirt, Verbal Commits, NCAA Transfer Portal. Start Hoop Dirt, bench hoop, uh, the Transfer port Portal, and cut the other one. Okay. <laughs> Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? I've had Rex Walters. I've had you now. Who are three guests I should have? Um, I think Leonard Hamilton, Coach Hamilton at Florida State, is, is a very talented young, uh, talented man. Um, who's been doing it for quite some time. Great insight. I think he'd be wonderful to have on the show. Um, Joe Dooley is someone at East Carolina who's in the area, who's a tremendous coach and building his program there. And then I'd probably say, um, hmm, wow. You know what, I'd probably go off a player and go with Josh Howard. I think he's he's getting his he's cutting his teeth now into coaching and he's moved back to Dallas and has a coaching uh, coaching at a university there. So those would be my three. Okay, those are good good guess. What advice would you have for young coaches trying to climb the ladder? So they're already in the business, but really trying to climb the coaching ladder. Network. That's what it comes down to. Um, with the rules that are placed upon head coaches now. Um, with the head coach should have known type of, of rule that applies to everything in your program, networking, so people actually know who you are and can vouch for who you are. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to bring somebody on your staff that you don't feel comfortable with, that you don't trust to, to be a part of your program, and you know that they're not going to do anything to, to put your program or any of your staff members in jeopardy or danger. Good stuff. Coach, if coaches want to get in touch with you, what are your social media handles? Um, well, for me, it's um, Coach D Manning. 
um, or is my is my handle. And I'm actually I'm laughing because I'm actually in, in the process of, of turning my social media stuff over into uh, redoing it, if you will. So I've kind of shut it down a little bit and and now I'm retooling and, and setting up some different social media accounts to, to, to roll out. So that's what I've also been doing um, during this pandemic also. That's awesome. Well, Coach, if you need any help, I'm more than happy to lend a hand. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Coach, you know, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. I appreciate your, your generosity and, and uh, you know, kindness over the years. And, and I wish you the best in you know, your future coaching endeavors. Well, thank you very much. Always enjoy visiting with you, David, and, and best of luck to you. Thank you, All Coach. Right, take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.